Good day and uh, welcome to today's webinar, the first in a series of educational presentations through the racial and social justice initiatives being presented by COSIDA. We welcome our members and our colleagues to today's important conversation and thank you to all who have been who have submitted your questions ahead of time in advance. We're going to get to as many of those questions as possible throughout this webinar. And we appreciate all of you joining us today. I see the numbers are increasing as I'm talking. So as a reminder, the webinar will be posted later today on COSIDA.com and then COSIDA Connect, our membership's online community for those that know people that couldn't make it live. We'll also have this as a podcast and you'll be able to download it from the services listed on COSIDA.com. And we will place this webinar on our COSIDA YouTube channel as well. As I mentioned, we do have a lot of questions submitted already, and we're looking forward to receiving others. So please use the chat box, which you'll find on the right side of the portal. We'll save time. I'll make sure that we get to some of the new questions as well. So don't feel like you'll be left out if you haven't submitted a question ahead of time. So at the end, um, we will try to go at least 45 minutes to an hour here. And if and if you're interested and you've got more questions, uh, our panelists are ready to, to take on a little more time if necessary. So first of all, let me introduce our panelists. We have with us, yeah, we'll start in alphabetical order, uh, Jessica Poole uh, from Chicago State University. She's a senior associate AD for external operations and revenue generation. We have Kanisha Rohn, Belmont University, director of digital media and social strategy. We have Scotty Rogers, Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic Director of Communications, and Kyle Serba, North Carolina Central University Executive Senior Associate AD for Strategic Communications. So we'll go ahead and start with a question for everybody. Um, from your perspective, what advantages or disadvantages have you been afforded by being a member of your race in this profession? We'll start with you, Kanisha. I think for institutions that have been looking to diversify, um, I think being a qualified candidate um, and a, a qualified candidate of color has definitely helped when people are looking to add um, someone like me to their staffs. Um, but it's also been um, on the double-edged sword because people will hold that against me and say that I may not fit into the culture of their institution because they're not ready to embrace um, a person of color um, and a vocal woman of color um, as well. So it's I've had both experiences. Yeah, I think I've had both experiences too. Um, I would say that right now, um, people are looking to diversify all across college athletics right now. And so, you know, if you're a qualified candidate, someone that's on top of your game, somebody that has really honed your craft, you are in high demand and a hot commodity right now. Um, I also think a disadvantage is if you are that, that candidate, Sometimes you're wondering if you're being hired because they just merely need to hire a black face or a brown face um, and not being hired on the basis of the quality of your work and your level of experience. So I think that that's always something that I have in the back of my head, particularly when working at um, large um, power five type institutions um, where you tend to look around and not see many people like you. So I just wonder sometimes, am I getting hired because I'm the best candidate or I'm mean, getting hired because I'm the most qualified black or brown candidate that they have. Go ahead, Kyle. 
muted. You know, unmute Kyle. All right, I got uh, I got caught on unmute. Um, obviously, an interesting uh, response from my perspective. Um, first, I want to thank Cosida for hosting this critical conversation. Uh, very uh, honored to be a part of the conversation with my respected peers here. Uh, as as someone who is uh, who is white, um, obviously I've been afforded a lot of opportunity, right, as a person of privilege. Um, and ironically, I've been working at a historically black university for the past 26 years. And honestly, I do believe that I was I was hired at the time um, because I was white. Um, so the university was looking to, to diversify. And I would just happen to be part of the fewer than 10% uh, that's working on that HBCU campus. Uh, so obviously a unique perspective, but once again, I was, I was blessed um, because of that opportunity. I think for me, the uh, disadvantage has been, well, the advantage has been, you know, I may have had a chance to walk in the door. The disadvantage is I had spent a lot of time fighting to stay inside that door and getting a seat at the table in that door instead of sitting in the back of the room. So I think a lot of times, you know, you know, Jess and Kanisha and I have had, we, we have a lot of conversations. We had very similar paths in the sense of, we've been in a lot of rooms where there's been a lot, not a lot of people that look like us and we've been the only representative in that room. And as much as they don't say that to you, you know that, you feel it, you live it every day, you wake up every day, you put on your you put on your pants one leg at a time. You put on your shirt, but you 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 walking in that door, feeling different, being different, knowing that it's different. And I think you've had to try to work through that. But I think the biggest thing for me is that working through all that is trying to find your network of people and have them be your the folks that are there for you. And you can have some great conversation and help them lift you up and help them have them help you get through some of those challenging times when you're going through that. Uh, whether you're either in a disadvantaged situation or even in an advantage situation, because sometimes you got to be able to nuance both of them. Those are great points. And uh, I think you guys covered the wide spectrum of it because there are some things on the front end where you need to take the opportunity that might not come your way if it's not for your race in all your cases. But there's also what do you do with that opportunity to not just count on that to be why you're just in a position and have a job? You know, how do you take advantage? of that opportunity is important. I think you guys have shown that how you've grown in your careers. So let's start with a few of the questions from the from the audience. Uh, let's see, uh, Jess, for you, what is the best way to go about establishing a forum for student athletes to voice their concerns about race, injustice, and et cetera? So gosh, this is a pertinent question to me because I feel like I've been doing this um, this summer with my student athletes here at uh, Chicago State, I think it's really important to have um, provide the opportunity. I think that it needs to be an informal, um, you know, I can say what we did. We put a um, Zoom together and we invited all of our student athletes, um, all, all that we had on campus to kind of come in, create a safe space for them to share and for administrators to listen. Um, we put really hard guidelines um, on how we wanted it to run. And it was a safe space for us to just listen, not ask many questions, but to have um, the student athletes interact with each other. I think you kind of see this a little bit on social where 
somebody says something and then the conversation kind of moderates itself. And so we really, we really took that into account. Um, for us, you know, we are a low resource institution on the south side of Chicago that is a primarily minority serving institution, but our athletic department is very diverse. And so we have had a lot of um, Caucasian student athletes reaching out and saying like, this is horrible, like what can I do? We have a large international student athlete population. So we really wanted to create a space where everyone could hear what our black and brown student athletes were feeling um, and give them a space to share, but also be open to, to dialogue. Um, I think it's really important to do that, not only with your student athletes, but with your coaches and with your staff, um, because these are all people that are gonna come into inter everyday interaction with your student athletes. And they need to understand, we all need to have an understanding of how we feel about the scenario. So I think it's important to, um, I know it's, you know, we run into this, well, we have to get this, this, and this done, and we're in a COVID environment, and we're trying to, everyone's trying to get back to campus, and, you know, this is, falls to the back burner in some cases, but it's really about culture. And if you want a culture of your athletic department and your student athletes to um, be informed, to felt um, loved, to feel heard, um, I think it's important to make time to just listen to each other. Um, we don't, we're not gonna solve the problems, right? And I'm not gonna know how to solve a problem that an international student is dealing with any more than an international student is gonna know how to solve a problem that a, a African-American student athlete is dealing with. So, but I do think it's important to listen to each other to gain perspective. So I think any way that you can do that, whether it's a Zoom forum, whether it's small, creating small groups um, within your stack, whether it's, you know, however you can do it, I think it's worth it to do it because it's a culture builder in your department. You're gonna have, if you can do that, you're gonna have much more engaged student athletes, you're gonna have much more engaged staff, um, and you guys in your department will start to see the family aspect. And I think that's what we're all striving for, right? Nobody wants to go to work and feel like they can't bring their whole, whole self, but you can't bring your whole self if the people you are working with or you're in constant you know, conversation with don't understand what that looks like for you. So I think it's really important to create those spaces, not just for student athletes, but for, for everyone in your, in your department. I hope that answered the question. Yes. Anybody else want to chime in on that one? I know at Kentucky, just, you know, we've um, we had to put together on our diversity advocacy committee. We, we started an actual black student athlete advisory group, and it was really supported by our SAC because they needed help because they were like had the same question. And so we actually put a group together and it's been very helpful to guide us and how we're having some of those conversations with the whole student athlete body. So that's some things you might wanna look at as well. Here, next think, question. Okay, go ahead, go ahead, Kenesha. I just think to, to Jess's point, I think some people on this call are probably sitting there and they're figuring like, well, I'm, you know, I don't, I'm not black, I'm not brown, and I don't know what to do. I don't know how to start doing something. I'm, I'm uncomfortable with this situation, so I don't know what to do. Well, one thing I would say, Get used to being uncomfortable. That's number one. That's the number one thing that you got to start with in this whole situation right now. You have got to get you have got to get outside of your box. You have got to find a way to get out of your chair and go talk to somebody, whether it's an administrator, your athletic director, 
somebody on the other side of campus. Most of these campuses have somebody that, that is in a diversity area on your campus. If you're not knowledgeable enough, go, go seek out that person. Go seek out a professor, even if you don't have a diversity and inclusion officer. And I can't think of any university that probably doesn't have a diversity and inclusion officer at this stage in the game where you can have that conversation and try, try to use this opportunity to be a leader within your athletic department. If your AD is not doing something, if your upper administration is not doing something, if your SAC is not doing something, this is your opportunity to show that you're a diverse administrator who can tackle tough issues. So go find people, go find resources. We got a resource page on our oncosider.com that we're trying to give a lot of information. And we just got started with that page. That page is gonna go on for days if we keep adding the information that we wanna add to it. And we want everybody to contribute to that contribute to that. So I think to, to Jess's point, what she talked about was really great. But for all those that are feel like they haven't done something, you better get uncomfortable real quick and, and try to do something because waiting around, you know, if, if you want to know when you should do something, the answer is yesterday. That's when you got to do something, you know, with Zoom and all the technology that you have, you got to take advantage of that. And you should be doing that. If you, you haven't done it already, you should get off this call and, and make a make an action, make a move right now. And if, if I could, I could just, I think, oh, go ahead, Jessica. Nope, nope, you got it, Kyle. Ladies first, please. If I could just add, I think it's important to realize that you don't have to be black or brown to 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 do this type of work. We it takes going to take everybody, and so I would encourage anybody that feels the need to make a change or to help their campus or department or institution move forward. That's all it takes. It doesn't, you don't need to be black or brown. Um, you don't need to be male or female. You just need to be somebody that has a heart for this work and you can make a change. So don't um, don't wait for somebody that's black or brown to do it. You do it. Um, and that, I think that's important too. And that's, that's kind of where I was going. I wanted to speak to that obviously since I'm the racial demographic that makes up a majority of our association. Um, you know, I, th I think it's important that Maybe I share a little bit of my background and, and kind of how I'm, I'm here today. Um, you know, I grew up in, in not just a predominantly white community in upstate New York, it was significantly white. And when you grow up in that environment, you just aren't aware of race. I mean, I wasn't even self-aware of, of race uh, as an issue. So there's no way I could be aware of how it was impacting uh, other races. And so, you know, it wasn't until I got to an HBCU, a historically black university, uh, again, less than 10% uh, white people on campus, that I really became aware of, of my race. And it, I, I remember, you know, probably the moment it really hit me was I was working at a Seattle Ballet basketball tournament, which is an HBCU conference. And I'm standing behind the scores table, you know, usually you're locked in, um, but I just took a moment to, to look up and look around me. And I realized that, you know, among the 10 to 15,000 faces that I saw in the crowd, I was like, wow, I might be the only white person in here. And, you know, it didn't bother me, but that was, that was kind of my moment of awakening, you know, the, really to become self-aware of race. And again, because there's a lot of people on this call and most people in our association that looked like I do and may have grown up in a situation and in an environment that lacked diversity and maybe even you're working in an environment that lacks diversity you know i think it's important that you become self-aware 
Um, the way that you can do that, I, I think number one, first and foremost, you can um, step outside your comfort zone by growing your network, both your personal and your professional network and surround it with diversity. Um, by doing so, you'll get into relationships that will allow you to have conversations about race. And, and they're probably conversations that you're not comfortable with. But I would also say that when you get in those conversations, that's not a time for debate. It's a time for you to listen. Okay, you need to not only open up your ears, you open up your mind, you open up your heart. And when you do that, you will not only start to hear those stories, you will start to feel those stories. And once you do that, you will have a greater understanding about race. You will start to develop some compassion and empathy about race. And then once you do that, you can take that a step further. There are a lot of resources that COSIDA is providing where you can watch documentaries, you can read books and engage in further conversations. And once you do that, and this kind of ties back to where we're talking about in terms of how race and communications professionals can work hand in hand, once you have a greater awareness about race, then you add that to your communications toolbox and you'll be able to communicate more effectively about race. We saw a lot of instances where universities did not speak very effectively about racial issues in this country during the Black Lives Matter movement. All these universities were issuing statements and many of them were not received very well because they were probably written by people that look like me that don't have that racial awareness. And so I would encourage you to please step out of that comfort zone that Scotty and Jessica just talked about and get uncomfortable. I promise, I promise you it's gonna not only make you a better professional, it's gonna make you a better person. Take it to church, Kyle. Seriously. <laughs> Thanks, Kyle. So here's a different perspective. So how can a conference office best support and guide member institutions and their personnel, staff, and students on racial and social issues? Scotty, you want to start there? Yeah, I'll take that one, having worked at three different conference offices. I think the number one thing that I do with, or the approach that I took with everything that came from a conference office, your job is to complement and to and to elevate what the schools are doing and in this situation you can be an information resource check around with your schools and see what they're doing and be hey get those best practices get them together send them back out to the entire conference you know look around and see what's happening at other conferences whether it's in your level of your division one two or three or in other levels it doesn't have to be just about what's going on in your in your immediate circles um, and share that information across your schools. Once you get that information and all your schools and your conferences are doing something, put it together in some sort of way that you can share that out there. Let people know from a communication standpoint that you want to know when they're rolling something out so that the conference social media channels can elevate that message by making sure that it is um, it is retweeted, is commented on, it's got the appropriate hashtag. You got a hashtag. Uh, the, you got you got to put all kind of hashtags on this thing because you want that conversation to get in a lot of different circles. You want this conversation to be in circles that it's not normally in. This is a sports conversation. This is a community conversation. This is a civic conversation. This is a this is a conversation in a bunch of different places. So do some of that research for your schools. Send that information to them. Say, hey, when you put something out there, make sure you include these three or four uh, key hashtags 
that that you've noticed that are that are trending out there so that 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 information that knowledge can get out there and share information within the conference you know granted uh, within the conference so that somebody at school a in your conference can maybe learn something from school b and then also you know then once you figure that out what's going on in your conference figure out where your place is as the conference where you can do something that fits right in that sweet spot that can help everybody that can amplify amplify and complement what they're doing because you don't want to get into the situation where the conference as the conference you're doing something that is almost the same of what's happening at the schools because then you won't get you won't get that you know that back and forth between the two of them so i think it's very important to be a uh, collector of information and share information and being able to amplify and complement those messages that's coming out and the initiatives that's coming out from your schools in your conference that's great big point scotty are you about to say something tanisha I was. Um, I was going to say that it's an excellent opportunity for conference offices to move beyond being allies to being champions for the diverse the populations that are in their conferences. And so, if, especially in this on the staff level, if you have committees that that are lacking diversity, this is the perfect time for you to say, "Hey, School A, I would love to have X Y Z employee on our committee," um, because you know you need the diversity that's on that committee. Um, you also raise the profile of that person at the institution. And so they may have been being overlooked at their school, but now the conference is saying, wow, this person brings a valuable point of view to the table. Let's make sure that we have included them at our tables here at the, at the institution. And so I think there's some, some low hanging fruit ways that you can at the conference office be able to, like Scotty said, amplify the things that are happening on the campuses. Um, but again, use it as a way to um, amplify the voices of the people that you know are doing good work, but are probably being overlooked um, and maybe overlooked because of their race or ethnicity. I'll add one thing from a conference perspective. As you get into the, the coaches groups or even some of the athletic director groups or SWA groups, don't assume that maybe the one person of color that's in these groups can carry that burden of being the only voice and only answers you're gonna ever get on them. So from a conference perspective, look in your groups and make sure that those individuals are not trying to carry that burden alone. That's 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 too much to bear. And obviously that translates to things on campus too, because if you're a black or brown person and you're that one that everybody's going to and what we wanna do, um, obviously, there's an interest level, but make sure people know like you're not the end all be all. I've got, the, I'm the expert, I've got all the answers. We have to support each other, but also look for outside entities to help. And so if you're at a conference office, make sure on those groups and things that you're putting together that there's just not this assumption that this one black person is gonna have all the answers. Going to that one school, like what do you think and what we should do and all that. Some people are not equipped for that. So that's one thing I would think to look out for on the conference level for sure. I got to add on to that, and, and, and it's kind of Kyle said, you got to be able to have people of all different ethnic backgrounds helping that one, two, three, four people in a room. That the, the burden of being one person in a room, and I know Dwayne, Kanisha, and Jess can approve, that's a lot. When you do that all the time, when you're always that one person all the time, it gets, it gets to be a challenge, and you get tired, and you get like, I got to do this again? I got to keep I got to keep being the one again. And I think, you know, I appreciate Kyle's perspective so much because what he has learned and, and how he operates as a professional, 
I think a lot of people on this call, I'm, I said this in our planning call, and I need to say this right now. If you don't, if you don't feel comfortable talking to any black people around you, call Kyle Server. If you're white on here, call Kyle Server. Talk to him. Send him an email. Talk to him. Let him give him. He's got a perspective that I don't think Kyle could be on this panel by himself for two hours talking about his perspective to our membership. And there's a lot of people like Kyle in the circles that that he's been in and traveled in. We know a lot of them, and they're great people. And that just like us. But the point is, is that if you don't have somebody that you feel like that's comfortable, find somebody. Pick one of us. Do something. You know, don't feel like don't feel like you just got to you got to it's got to be somebody that, you know, you know, you got to find somebody that's champions and advocates. Jess and I are on the um, diversity and inclusion committee. Kanisha is doing a lot with Woe There's people within all those groups. Uh, BC side, we're all in. We're all in BC side. We're all, all there's somebody in all of those groups. You're most of the people on here are probably in one of those groups. Find somebody that you like. You've seen them on a panel. You see them moderate a panel. Send them an email. Find their number and call them. I'm telling you right now, people will pick up the phone. People will respond to that email. People will respond to that DM, and they will get back to you and find a time to talk to you. Because I think that's very, very important. And don't don't be scared. Just just step out there. Don't be scared. I, just to like kind of put a nice little bow on this, um, I think don't let your fear of the unknown keep you in the same space that you are, because we we have to move forward. Like there's there's no option to not move forward. So you know, and and I don't think any of us are saying like you need to go out and buy a Black Lives Matter shirt. You like you need to do what you're. That's a beautiful segue. Um, you need to do what you're comfortable doing, but don't don't let a fear of saying the wrong thing or something or, or something going wrong or not being well received stop you from advancing yourself, advancing your institution, or advancing our profession. Like we need everybody to take, and I and sorry to all my diversity and inclusion people that are here this all the time. We each need to be one percent better today than we were yesterday, just 1%. I'm not asking anybody to be 50% better or 100% better, 1%. And if everybody's 1% better and takes 1%, goes out of their comfort zone by 1%, we get better. Like it's just the law, it's just math, we get better. So um, I think it's really important to not let fear hinder you from moving forward. And I'll, I'll add to that, if you're one of those people that is, you know, fearful of having that conversation. Trust me, I get it. I've been working at an HBCU again for two decades, and I am still uncomfortable about having that conversation. I mean, race is right up there as far as politics and religion of things that I try to stay away from, right? But you can't anymore. It's it's too important of an issue not to talk about it. So you you have to be willing to get and step out of that comfort zone, but you have to talk about it. Um, and one of the things that I agreed to do this uh, panel, because again, I don't like talking about race, is that somebody brought up the notion of you are either a racist or you are an anti-racist. There's no in between. You're either a racist or an anti-racist. And that 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 shook me, right? That That made me really think about where I am in terms of race. And so, you have to excuse the pun but you have to put skin in the game you have to get off the sideline and and put your skin in the game if, if this was an issue if race was an issue that black people could solve 
they would have done so hundreds of years ago. Okay, they wouldn't have waited for the Black Lives Matter movement. They would have done so a hundred years ago. So we need more people that look like me to to step up and speak up and be activists and be anti-racist, not just somewhere in the middle, which is where I know I've been living for the last however many years was somewhere in the middle. I got to step my game up too. That's why I'm here today. It's perfect, Kyle. So since we're not, we're going to be a little fearless here. Let's go to this question. I think it kind of segues pretty good. So let's talk about a moment when you have faced racism on a personal and or professional level. Uh, I got one. And I think Jess can uh, appreciate this one in particular. I was working at the Ivy League and I was at around, and it wasn't really racist, but it kind of caught me um, by surprise. I was at the first, second round of the NCAA tournament. I was there representing the Ivy League, Harvard was in, and I was actually on my credential had that I was assistant SID for Harvard because it just helped because I was just helping them as the conference office rest. Uh, so I went to the, the uh, SID meeting and I had on a Sunbelt, I had on an Ivy League uh, a pullover, a credential that said Harvard on it. And after the meeting, I walked out and one of the schools that was at this first, second round was Southern University in Baton Rouge. Um, I walked out and somebody walked up to me, Southern didn't have any game notes there, or they couldn't find them. So somebody, I don't know if from another school or if it was an administrator, walked up to me and asked me, um, do you know if, uh, where the Southern notes are? Can you tell me where the Southern notes are? I'm like, well, why are you asking me? And I'm like, no, I work for the Ivy League, right? And I pointed on my chest to the logo that was right on my chest. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. Right. And I was like, you know what? And I was having, it was, it was, I hadn't even had a cup of coffee yet. So it was, it was, you know, you know, that meeting's early in the morning. So, you know, I walked out of that and I actually called one of my friends who doesn't work in college athletics anymore. That's a Southern grad, Laronica Conway, who you know, who a lot of people know. I called her. She doesn't work in athletics anymore. And I called her right then and said, do you know what just happened to me? And she, we just commiserated on the phone for a couple minutes. And I was like, you know what? I just had to, I had to call, I had to say something to somebody before I let it fester within myself and the rest of the day, I had to go worry about Harvard and, and helping them with their media obligations for the rest of that day because it was the open practice day. Um, but while it wasn't necessarily quote unquote racist, it just reminded me like, you know, no matter what I do, no matter what I have on, no matter what it says what I have on, all they see is I'm a black dude at a first, second round in a communication meeting. So I have to be the, the SID for that HBCU that's here. And no offense to Southern. I got great friends that went to Southern. I know people that worked at Southern, but I never represented them. And I didn't want to and misrepresent them either or disrepresent them. So that was something that really, I, I remembered as a, I saw that question earlier and I remember this story and it just kind of, it, it, it just matters. No matter how hard a lot of us have tried, there's always that one little incident that happens. And sometimes it can be that small that just reminds you, you know what? You know, I woke up black yesterday. I'm gonna be black today. And 
pretty much I'm going to probably be black tomorrow and the next day after that and the next day after that. No matter <laughs> how many how many titles I get, no matter how many awards I can win, no matter how many panels I'm on. It's that level of microaggressions. I don't think that a lot of us are experiencing overt racism every single day, but those microaggressions are death by a thousand paper cuts. And so when I'm traveling with the team um, and we're going to very small town America where you can look around and for the day of competition, I am the black person <laughs> other than a student athlete from, from the opposing team. And I've had um, things put in food. I've had, because my name is ethnic and so I've asked coaches, could you just put my first initial and my last name on food? Because um, my sandwich is supposed to be hot, but everybody else's is and mine isn't. My order is completely wrong. Um, all kinds of crazy things um, that happen in these smaller towns because they want to make sure that I understand that I'm not welcome there. Um, and so it, again, it's not something no one came out of the restaurant and said, I hate you in word, but at the same time, it, town after town after town, weekend after weekend, when you're traveling with the team, and you're like, I'll just have chips. I'll pack my lunch. I'll pay for my own food because you have to ensure your own safety. It, those microaggressions get to be very heavy. Yeah, I, I, I get that the microaggressions, the death by a thousand paper cuts just is a, a really great um, analogy. I have, one from kind of wearing my administrator hat. Um, this is my first time being an administrator um, at a minority serving institution. And I my we're in we're in a conference that is full of primarily white institutions. And the way that we are treated and the way that my student athletes are treated, um, it's really eye-opening. Um, and it is actually heartbreaking is the word that I would use um, because you can tell at conference championships, you know, if our kids win something, it's not a big deal. It's just, it's like up next, um, you know, if we've done something good, it's like, well, it's about time. Um, it's just very, um, it's heartbreaking because I've always been and I think all of us that work in college athletics, like I, you've always been taught, college athletics is the great connector. It's where uh, on a Saturday or a Sunday, you can be in the stands with people that are, you're all pulling in the same direction for the same team, for the same reason. It does not matter your back, it, it, sh it shouldn't, right? But I've firsthand witnessed, uh, you know, in the last couple of months since I've been at Chicago State, just the way that, um, HBCUs are perceived by PWIs. It's it's heartbreaking and it quite it's heartbreaking, but it quite honestly fuels my fire because I want my kids to be able to feel seen and be seen, and my coaches to feel seen and be seen and get. And I want this place to be a place that is, you know, you can go from Chicago State to a to a Power Five and be prepared and ready and and all of those things. So it just fuels my fire. But um, seeing it up close and personal, um, and it and the way that it affects my student athletes, um, it's heartbreaking. Um, and so for 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 me, it's a it's it's been really eye opening these last couple of months being here um, and just seeing the way that we're perceived around our league. Um, yeah. I want to. Um, I don't feel that I have a right to answer that question. 
Oh, well, you might have faced it. <laughs> um, um, I want to share a story. I'm going to give a short form to it, not to be very identifying, but a lot of times I, I talked to a little bit of our staff and people thought maybe you need to talk about some things more because a lot of people feel like it because you're in administration, maybe you haven't had any things that have happened or to stunt your growth. I mean, I thank Scotty Rogers every time I can because he paved the way for me to even get involved in in more big time college athletics by not screwing it up when he was at the SEC office to leave a pass for me to follow. And so the check's in the mail, Scotty, on that. But I appreciate before that. I to, <laughs> before I got to the point, uh, one of my first job opportunities out of college, you know, I worked a year in a job and had an opportunity to start year two. And the normal thing was you get a 5% raise. And uh, I was a new position, uh, first one in my job. And you come in at $18,000 and your 5% is 18.9. You're like, hey, you know, is there a way to reevaluate the position? And, you know, I'm ready to get out of mom's house. You know, <laughs> can we look at it now that I've proven myself? And my supervisor was very helpful with it. He said, you know, let's, you know, I think you're right. You're doing half the work. Let's go to the commissioner. Let's talk about it. You know, I put in a good word for you. We do all that. And I'm feeling good about it. Even if it doesn't happen at that point, I feel supported. You know, I'm, you know, somebody you're putting your time and effort into. And uh, you you find out later that it was, it came back, was denied. I'm not going to have that opportunity. I was disappointed. But at least I felt like the people I was working with um, appreciated what I was doing. And so I went to the commissioner and asked him, I said, you know, I was disappointed that that didn't work out. And I was hoping for an opportunity to make this more of a career type position. And he said, well, actually, uh, the conference uh, board, uh, they approved you. Yeah, they, they bumped you up to 24, but your supervisor is the one that denied it. So I went back to my supervisor and I said, you know, why would you do that? I mean, you're the one that encouraged me to actually go for it. Well, I just felt like they gave it to you because you were black. And so I didn't think it was fair. I got 5%, you should get 5%. Now, probably the reason I'm before you today is because I didn't overreact. I didn't say anything. I didn't swing. I just, I was in shock. I turned around, walked back to my office. And two months later, I had another job because I was looking. I knew at that point I was going to get held back. But that was a point of how, you know, some things happen and how you handle that can be different. Now, the crazy thing is, the reason the SEC even knew about me, that same person years later, when they were looking for somebody to replace when Scotty left, mentioned my name. Like you might want to check out Dwayne Peavy over at Montevallo. So I don't know, there's a lot of lessons in that, but obviously it was something that I faced early on in my career that you've got to be, you know, you, you can be successful, but things that go your way, but sometimes, there's some roadblocks and some hurdles that you just got to overcome. And it's about getting that opportunity and what you make them and making the most of it, uh, taking, taking advantage of other situations you have, you have. So. Dwayne, I got to add on to that. Uh, you talk about blazing trails and I got to, I got to shout out to the yourself and what you've done and the, the other three panelists here, you know, Kanisha being at a place that she's been in for, you know, knocking on door. I ain't gonna put any years on the condition because you know you don't you don't start telling ages. So it a long time in a place in a space where it's been very difficult in PWI. Jess and I both spent time in the Ivy League. She's been at a couple of SEC schools, and now what she's doing, she's you know embarking on being the first African American female to be president of COSIDA and and the work that she's done um, leading our diversity and inclusion committee from 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 the ground up and what we're doing right now. 
you know, and, and the stuff I'm doing, like Dwayne, like you said, we, just a real quick side story. Dwayne and I had a conversation uh, about a, three or four days ago for two hours. That was 20 years overdue that we talked about our past and what we were doing, but we got on the phone, we started talking. And the more we started talking about, man, we should have had this conversation 20 years ago. But, you know, I want to your point though, blazing trails for people in our profession. This, this you know, what is, what, what are we uh, African-Americans in Cosida? 1% point some percent. I don't even know what the number is. It's ridiculous. It's not great. We get an F every year from, from, from Richard Lapchick um, and his survey, which we should, we deserve it. But everybody that's on this panel, everybody that's listening, everybody that's sitting on this panel, we got to make a change. You know, if you're at a school or a conference right now and you're fortunate enough to have a position that you're trying to fill and you don't try to seek out somebody to help diversify your pool, then you're not you're not you're not doing that one percent that just talked about. That's the one percent that you got to do. You got to make that extra phone call because there are people out there and we know some some of us on this panel know who you are. Kyle's done an amazing job with some of the people that he's hired over the years and mentored and they've gone off and done great things at other schools. Uh, and got into head jobs. He's been a he's been one of the biggest advocates to bring a lot of people on uh, that at an HBCU where so and I think we all got to do that. And 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 Dwayne, I, I didn't really help you come on board, and I didn't re, you know we didn't really help each other, but we kind of did without even talking to each other. And I think the thing we got to do now is that we got to help each other. We got to find that young kid, male, female. Um, whatever, and 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 put our hands on them, meaning we got to reach out to them in a, in a hand of support and, and try to show them the way, because I don't want somebody to go through the stuff that I went through, Jess went through, that Kanisha went through, that Kyle went through. That's what we got to do right now. We got to keep that from happening to that young 23, 24, 25-year-old, because if we don't help the next generation of folks in this profession, this profession is going to, it's just going to continue to be what it is. And this is all about the change and I think there's been a lot of questions about what you need to do. This is not about a strategic plan. If you're trying to do something, this is about an action plan. You got to find something. People want to know when when you should be doing something. The answer is yesterday. If you don't have a Zoom set up with your student athletes or within your conference, get it set up. Get it done by the end of the week. It doesn't have to be some formal setup. Just reach out and get it going with Zoom and all the different things that we have that we've always had, but people are used to using now. You got to be able to just do that and 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 really create the conversation. And, and Kyle said it best. This is not a, it's not a time for debate. It's a time for get the conversation set up with the right people. Open it up and let them talk. Let them talk. Get your notepad out, get your pen out, get your recorder out and, and, and take your notes and then digest it and then figure out what your next steps are. But they got to be steps and it's got to be action. Right. Good stuff. That's a great segue to our next question. So if one of the earlier questions sent in, uh, someone they said they're planning to begin a paid minority internship within their department. So what are some things that they should be thinking about as we set it up? And so Think about that a little more broadly so it can affect everybody. If you're having, you know, internships or entry level positions that maybe you're trying to be more diverse at your school or conference office, what are some things that should go along with setting something like that up? I think the easiest thing to do is to make sure that you're sending it beyond NCAA.com for a posting. 
you can right now NACTA has waived all of the membership fees for all of the affiliates. So there's nothing stopping you from joining MOA and then posting it on their job board. There's nothing stopping you from joining BC side if you're looking for um, someone in media relations to be able to have it go out to that network. There's so many options for you to be able to post things. You want to go to opsports.com and send it there if you're looking for LGBTQ. There's so many options beyond NCAA.com if you're serious about having people to be a part of your staffs um, that reflect what, what the country looks like. Just don't limit it to just this one place and just say, well, I've done what I can do and I can't find anybody and I don't know anybody and nobody in my conference looks like me. But there are organizations who are already doing the work. You're not reinventing the wheel. Just join in with us and send it to the folks so we so that we can use our networks to say, I think that you have a, a grad assistant who will be great for this entry level position. But if I don't see it <laughs> and they don't see it, how are we ever going to get into the mix for those things? Yeah, that's a great point. Anybody else? I would just add too, if that position is going to be in one area, how can you create diversity in that person's experience while they're there? If it's going to be an athletic communications position, then how can you create an opportunity where they get to touch on something in ticketing or development or athletic training or operations so they can get this, you know, they can do a day or week, you know, and tour around different aspects of the athletic department beyond that job that they have as a primary because I think if you're really setting that person up for long-term success, you need to give them a well-rounded opportunity. And also with other people on the other side of campus too, connecting them with, uh, I have an opportunity with university communications, if it's a communications opportunity or whatever area it might be. And uh, I think that that's important as well beyond uh, what I think Kanisha, what Kanisha said was, was dead on. I do, I tell I people one um, sorry, Jess. I, I'm just going to say I tell people all the time that the one thing about being in athletic communications in my background, you learn that you can touch everything. You can know a little bit about everything in every department, and those are great assets. So that's a good point, Scotty. Go ahead, Jess. Yeah, I think one thing that's really important um, that you need to do before you even start advertising for a minority-based internship position is assess the climate of your environment. If you want to bring a minority into your environment, is it a safe space for them? Do you have, um, are they gonna be able to, and this is just across the board, right? Are they gonna be able to eat the food that they wanna eat? Are they gonna be able to get their hair done? I mean, are they gonna be able to, they're just creature comforts that you need to assess your environment and make sure that you're not bringing somebody into a, a hostile environment or an environment that they can't shape and create and feel safe and ho at home in. Um, because the last thing we need to do is to just be putting people in places where there's no opportunity for them to get comfortable. It's not good for them professionally and it's not good personally. So I think, you know, as you're looking to start, um, you know, a minority-based internship or want to diversify your, your departments, take a, take a step back and look at the climate in which you're bringing people into um, because you will have a revolving door and, and, and it's just like anything. Words get, word gets out. I mean, word of mouth, that's, that's for anything. So you need make sure that you're doing the, doing the work on the front end and making sure that your environment feels good for a minority to step into any position on your campus. Great. Um, I don't know if any of you have seen, uh, we, um, in connection with Coach Calipari at uh, 
Kentucky, I've been very involved in launching the McClendon Minority Leadership Initiative. And I agree, all the points that were made. It took us a while. We've been working on this for, for weeks, just even with the funding, that's not enough, right? So how do we help young people succeed? So uh, at Kentucky, we're gonna have five positions um, and they might be in 12 different areas. We're gonna see what the most interest is. And where we've we've already got a commitment from Coach Calipari, he's paying for five positions for six years, and and what we're trying to provide is not just the work experience, but the educational opportunity and mentorship. So the ten members of my diversity committee, two of us will mentor each young person just to give more time. We're going to do more things together to create an environment that they can succeed. But also once they leave us, to help them have that mentorship, the references to be able to exceed in the in the real world. I'm expecting this first time through, we might have people in actual current jobs that are interested because they might not have access to being at a Kentucky or another school. Um, and they're hoping in year one, you're talking about 50 to 70 positions across the country uh, that might double in year two. And we're just trying to change the trends. I think I gave a story about, for me, the opportunity the SEC gave me by even looking for me is what I'm trying to fix because I know even in administration now, we have jobs that people just don't know about, right? Um, where a people business, where you're hiring people you know or you've come in contact with or that you're used to. So your references are that way. Uh, my resume was not gonna get me even an interview at the SEC office because my work experience didn't look like the other candidates. If you're not digging deeper into the details to find out who you're hiring, You'll never even get to be in front of some very talented people. So this process we're doing, not only are you going through a process, getting vetted, and then you becoming one of the finalists for to be interviewed on campus, that interview experience that every candidate that applies is going to be interviewed by ProLink, who's a company we've hired to help with the process. And they're going to get feedback from their interviews just to help with that alone, just to get that experience, because some people might be fresh out of school and never even had an interview. So we're gonna do that too, but also increase that candidate pool because we've got other companies that are like, hey, I'm looking for different candidates. Do you have somebody that's interested in this? You know, more of a search firm type thing. And so we're hoping to have some impact strategically because I wanna look at this and create more of these, these future leaders. How do they have impact to diversify these athletic departments and our sports business world where, you know, predominantly a lot of the athletes are of color. And so I'm already working on something with our media rights holder, JMI Sports, about something just like this for executives. Okay, people that have been already in the workforce, they, they passed the entry level. Um, our Notre Dame series, we're looking at taking our neutral side game and taking funds, both athletic directors are on board, taking funds from that game to fund almost like a executive master's program, which I'm, in, I'm currently in right now. I'm, I'm in the second year of getting my MBA and it's an executive program. How do you take executives and they work within JMI sports has access to several schools. How do you take them and give them different work experience so they can be executives at these in college athletics and sports business? Because we got to help both sides of it. We got to flood the entry level, but how do we get people up to being executives and, and leaders as well? So a lot of ideas are coming about because people right now want to make change. They're interested, but 
it hasn't been an easy road, even if you want to. And I think that's some of the questions we're getting. I want to do the right thing, but I really don't know where to get people from. I don't know where candidates are. How do people, if you're a candidate, I don't know where to find jobs. So the one thing for that leadership initiative, if you're interested, is that minorityleaders.org. Um, but come August 1, we're hoping to launch all these applications for people to apply all across the country that are interested in getting involved in college athletics. I got one short point to that, Dwayne, and it is everybody in Kentucky and everybody ain't got a lot of money. But one thing about this situation is you can make a difference and it won't cost a thing. Creating conversation and creating an action plan and coming up with something to get to move forward. It might cost you that you might have to pay the membership for Zoom. That might be it. You know, you got to You got to get on and try to do something to create that conversation. And I, what you just said is phenomenal but i think there's a lot of people that's on this call that's sitting there and they they're looking at that budget that is shrinking by the minute and they just don't know what to do create that conversation and start working on whether it's creating a conversation that leads to a peaceful march on your campus you can make that happen with your student athletes at the lead all that can probably come about and won't cost anything so Start at the place where you can work within your campus. Take that philosophy of what you're trying to do and make it fit for your campus, your conference office, your conference, whatever it might be. And I think that's important for people to understand that money can fix a lot of things. There ain't no question about that. But in this situation and trying to move forward in this and this initiative that we have, um, we, we want to make sure we move forward in a way that you can do a lot of different things and a lot of it doesn't depend on money. And that's why we're trying to have the resources on Consider.com so that you can read and learn. And most, if not all of that stuff, are free things that you can see on a podcast, a book that you can um, you can pick up or have a link to or, uh, or, or follow up on things like this where they hopefully get some more um, information that they can use. And the greatest thing about our, the initiative we're doing, Scotty, is that if you want to reach out to me, if you're interested and have a job or you want, I've got some real work experience, it's not going to cost you anything. We're raising money through the foundation. These these young future leaders are going to get a grant. It's rated at, in, in Kentucky, it's rated at $2,500 a month that you're going to get $30,000 a year, basically, to do this for a year or two. And the basketball coaches that took the initiative, the NABC, they're putting money in the McClendon Foundation to fund the positions. And then we're raising money on the side to be able to have matching funds for people that can't afford a position. So we're asking people, hey, you might ask your basketball coach, might be putting in 15,000 and we're coming up with the other half to allow them to have a position at their school. And Cal's been talking directly to HBCU conferences about, hey, what do you need me to help you with? Because, hey, there's some work experience on the HBCU level where somebody might get even more experience and they're going to get on the division one on the on the SEC or power five level. Because as I know, come the smaller school you come from, the more work experience you're going to be able to get in that position. And then people got to understand that when they look at resumes, that it's not all equal. You might they might think it's not all equal the wrong way, but chances are they've got a lot more experience because I remember when I was in like division two. I was the marketing guy, the development guy, the sports information director, and I'm running the show in event management. That's the reason I can be in the position I'm in now because I've been doing that stuff since I started. But if I would have started at Kentucky, I might have got to do one part of my my job because that's just the affordability that you have on a major major conference level. And so I think the opportunity is there. It's not to discount. It's obviously to help 
the experience of all across, but we started more across division one to give that opportunity that some people don't have right now. How do I get into division one with this label that I have, that my work experience is not as equal to others? Get across that. And so I wanna help continue that no matter where I'm at, but I, I love the fact that so many coaches, I think they've got over 50 coaches are involved right now. And obviously in basketball, that's across division one. That's a lot of different levels of division one. And we hope they're hoping they get that to 150 basketball coaches by next year. That's good stuff. All right, next question. Okay, who do I talk to about my personal issues at work when there is no one that looks like me in a position of authority or power? Get them, Tanisha. <laughs> Baby. Um, I think, first of all, you need to build some allies across your campus. Um, and HR is a fantastic place to stop. <laughs> that is where they, that is actually part of their job responsibilities to make sure that human relations on your campus are reflective of, of the goals of the institution. And so finding out what the policies and procedures are that are already set up for um, your institution is a fantastic way to go because there may be a battle that you can't fight, but the policy will fight for you. Um, and so finding out what those specific things are in your institution um, will definitely go a long way. Um, always keep a paper trail. <laughs> always um, because you can always forget the small details but I will never forget um, going to a small city and having um, things placed in my sandwich and making sure I send an email directly to um, <laughs> to the SWA at the institution and say you might want to make sure that your student athletes know about this place and your coaches make sure they, that they don't send their kids there um, but also building allies in your own department um, you don't want to necessarily be seen as the problem child and everything is so hard because you're a person of color, but at the same time, they need to understand that their life experience and your experience in the department are going to be completely different. I've been the only person of color in the, on the administrative side the entire time I've been here at Belmont. Um, and so I've had to have, this, is, this, this question was made for me, I laughed when it came up from, from Dwayne because it really felt tailored to me, but at the same time I knew that it's really important for people who feel like they are not heard, they are not seen, that they definitely don't have a voice, that they understand that someone there, their responsibility is to make sure that as an employee of your institution, that your voice is heard. And if it doesn't go up the flagpole that way, you need to start jumping bigger. You can go to the vice president of your institution. You can go to your vice president. You can go to your president because your safety and well-being at your institution is it, it should be a priority as an employee to those people who are on the administrative side. If it's not, you might want to start looking for somewhere else to go that appreciates who you are and all the things that you bring to the table um, as a person of color with your grand experiences um, at your institution. But again, find out what, what works for you already. It's already set in place um, and then work from there. Build your allies and make sure that you have witnesses, that you write it down because it will always be your word against someone else's who will try to gaslight you and say you it wasn't that way and they didn't mean it that way and so and so's they could never be racist they would never use the n-word well <laughs> according to your documentation that incidents may happen so um again make sure that you know what what your rights are at your individual institution and reach out across your campus to find out um, who is already doing um, the work of, of advocating for you i would also just remind people that um you your network and who you talk to and communicate with right we're all talking about expanding our networks and diversifying our networks 
you, who you're the person that you confide in may not look like you. The person that you consider an ally may not look like you. And so make sure that like, don't, I wouldn't get so caught up on, I don't have somebody that, that doesn't look like me. I mean, I've been at every institution, save one or two where I've worked at, um, you know, I, I have always found someone that doesn't look like me that is an ally that I can talk to because the the reality of it too is that sometimes you know having somebody else's perspective on anything is important. Your experience is your experience and what you've felt or how you've been treated is your experience, but also to hear from somebody else who may have a different experience than yours that can help you um, process, engage, and, you know, hey, am I, is this right? Am I, is, this is how I'm feeling. How are you feeling? How would you feel? Um, I think is all really important. Um, and as we talk about diversifying our networks and diversifying those people that we consider allies, they're not always going to look like you. And that's a good thing. That is a good thing. Great. Agree. I think one of the things you got to look at um, being able to talk about things that have happened to you based on race is just like in the last so many years, we focus on different sexual assaults and things of that nature where people would be quiet, but now they feel more that people are listening and things are in place. And we've got to have that same shift when dealing with talking about race. You know, you might be talking to the same people. But if you feel like people are more listening and not kind of sweeping it up under the rug and you're never going to hear back, you might not have more cases, but you're going to know about more because people are going to be more forthcoming the things that have happened to them. In my situation, I probably should have went to my commissioner and told him what it was said. I didn't tell him to maybe 10 years later, because at the time, if I would felt like I said something and it came back on me, I definitely probably might have not heard about the SEC job because, he, you know, thing, it just feels different. But once you can feel empowered enough that hey you might not even want to bring a complaint as much as you want to let somebody know because what if that's the fifth thing that's happened with that person that's got to the to the title nine office right yep. i mean that's the thing you got to be aware of too it might not be just the one thing and so maybe somebody else is making a question and and there are anonymous ways to do that too i have talked to one of the initiatives we're working on is an anonymous way just like we do a compliance on our campuses for somebody to at least let somebody know if, they, if they're not comfortable actually bringing a formal one. So at least it's some form of record. So we're not sitting there thinking these are just one incident. So some of the things we're thinking about too. All right, we're gonna take a couple of questions. I know we're winding, we're over an hour here. So we're gonna take a couple of questions of the new questions that have come in since we started. So here's one, um, how have you handled coaches that have been prejudiced, racist, or were guilty of microaggressions? <laughs> is that speaking to anybody that is speaking to me um <laughs> it's okay, it is a very fine <laughs> very fine needle to thread why y'all i feel triggered y'all just telling me my story today um when i was um just starting at my current institution um there was a black woman who was in the conference office of our previous conference um my name is kenesha her name is lakeisha and one of our coaches insisted on calling me Lakeisha because he said, we look just alike. Sis, we don't look alike. Never have. <laughs> but he insisted on calling us both, even in emails. 
uh, or would email the wrong person and say, oh, this is for, this is for Kenesha, my bad, and thought it was so funny. Um, he even took it to do it at the, at the conference championship and said it's on video uh, as, as the team is being presented the championship trophy. Thank you, Kenesha. And it blew my mind. Lakeisha and I are still friends to this day. Um, but talking to this coach who was no longer at my institution after the fact, he was completely oblivious to the numerous offenses that it kept bringing up because he just, oh, he just laughed it off. And he just, it's not that big a deal. It, you know, you both have K's in your name. And I was like, but if I called you Michael and your name just has an M in it, you would take offense to that as well. Uh, but he felt that, well, I'm a coach, I can say and do what I want to, and my seniority here at the institution means that you need to watch your back way more than mine. Um, <laughs> but it was a very difficult um, thing to run up the chain. Um, she ran it up at, her, at the conference office, and so people were aware. Um, but at my institution, I was not very supported in my efforts to get attention drawn to that because I was gaslit by the people that I went to who said that that wasn't uh, what was happening even though there were emails <laughs> and exchanges and the video, of course, from the conference championship of that sport. Um, but I think that it is really, really important for you to make sure that you are gambling with threading that needle because sometimes people honestly can make mistakes. Um, this one I don't think was an honest mistake, especially after being corrected um, and he insisted on doing it for another uh, three years until she left the conference. Um, our last time seeing each other was about four years ago, um, and he is no longer at our institution, like I said, and he, and he called me Lakeisha to my face. <laughs> um, again, that death by thousand paper cuts that we mentioned earlier, it is just so, ugh, it's so tough to make sure that you can thread that needle to find the space to um, have people who can advocate for you because it, became, it wasn't about having an ethnic name, it was about my name is my name please address me as a professional because I address you as a professional coach. And so um, that was the way that, that we handled it. It was a professional issue. It wasn't necessarily about race, although race was a, was a heavy overtone in the incidences, the numerous incidences. Anybody else? I think, um, you know, I've had some instances. So this is a, a little piece of advice as well. Um, I think that when you're dealing with coaches or superiors um, and microaggressions and just things that are not right, um, I think it's really important to speak up. Um, I think, you know, I, I have just recently come to the realization that a lot of times I sweep things under the under the rug and you know they don't know any better it's you know it's not that big of a deal but it is because it's it's affecting me so i think you need to be prepared to a say something if it's something that hits you wrong or bothers you like take your time to process it yourself but don't sweep it under the rug make sure that you find a way whether it is um hey like like you know if this is someone that you go to coffee with or something like, like hey you said this the other day and it's just not sitting well with me. Can you explain to me what you meant? And I'll tell you how it, it came off to me. You know, it doesn't have to be, you're a racist. It doesn't have to be that. It can be just a, it can be a conversation. It may be an uncomfortable conversation, but it's a conversation that you need to have. And piggybacking that, I think it's really, um, you know, I'm somebody, as most people who know me, I don't really hold my tongue often. Um, so 
I think you have to be prepared for the possible positive responses and reactions and also the possible negative responses and reactions. Um, you know, there's been instances and ones coming to mind where I've said something and the reaction has been negative and um, it, and that's okay. But I, sa I said my piece, I said how I felt and we can only control how we respond and react. We can't control how others do. Um, and so I think it's important to be, be prepared when you do speak up for two sets of outcomes. Um, but I do think it's important to speak up because, you know, for me, we become complicit in the microaggressions or the racist overtones or whatever it is if we don't speak up. And if people know that you're going to speak up and say something, again, it's, an, it's a teachable moment. It's an educational moment. And it doesn't always have to be combative and aggressive. But I think we do ourselves a disservice to what we're trying to do to be 1% better if we don't say anything. I would just add that don't leave it up to the people of color to speak up against it. If you know it's wrong and you know it's inappropriate, speak to it, regardless of the color of your skin. Yeah, I had a situation where I was preparing, I don't know, this was in crazy times, but I was preparing for, I had to testify uh, on behalf of one of the institutions that I was working with. And it was nothing that had to do with me, but in preparation for it, one of the administrators at the school asked me, do you find the term tar baby offensive? And before I could even answer, one of my white colleagues said, I don't care what he thinks, but I do. You know, and that meant something to me just because, you know, I was in a room with no one looking like me. Obviously, I did, and I was going to respond that way, but it made me feel better that I'm not the only one that, you know, so there's points to that, and I think you make a, a good point, Kyle. Um, but it was a situation with a, with a trial where they were trying to say the definition of tar baby is in a tough task, or they were bringing it up, wanted to know what I was going to, how I was going to answer that if they asked me, uh, you know. Just, I mean, but there's a lot of ignorance out there too. I mean, to your point, Jessica, is that there's some people that just don't know any better. I got a call from a, uh, a coach that I've worked with previously um, that's at a different place and thought, hey, maybe, you know, I want to run somebody by Dwayne and maybe he can help me. I heard he's working with some things and flat out asked me, I mean, basically shared with me that uh, she thought that, um, uh, George Floyd, in her opinion, George Floyd's death had nothing to do with his race. And obviously, she was comfortable enough to tell me that. Luckily, in her profession, that she didn't say that to probably anybody else. But it gave me at least an opportunity with the relationship to kind of talk through that and explain to her how that, even if that's your opinion, how that comes off and what that says about you. And I think even that conversation, I felt like it was important because her, you know, just thinking about if she said that to her team or, or or anybody else, she wouldn't get a chance for an explanation. And yeah. and so um, I think she came away from that conversation like, man, I'm glad I talked to you because I wasn't thinking that way. I, um, and, and it really just, I mean, there's a lot of miseducation in it. I mean, there's a lot of people that go to extremes and think that's the only case. And as people of color are talking about things that have happened to them in the past, more people are understanding that these are not just things that all of a sudden just happen to people that put them in bad situations and bad things happen or something attached to it. 
And it's just, it's the um, it's unbelievable because I work with a bunch of people on my staff that are probably more active than I even am because they are like, um, you know, our white staff members are fired up over this. And it's a proud moment. I mean, because they're like, no, I'm sorry, I'm dragging you. We're, we're you know, you, we gonna, we doing something about this because before when you're alone and you're the only voice, I mean, it's hard every day, like Scotty talked about early on in this, to speak up every time, all the time, be the only one. And that's one of the questions someone asked about, uh, I'll paraphrase it. Um, if if you're if you're white and you're working at a predominantly white institution, how what's some strategies to help when you bring up initiatives or things we should do for people of color or the black community when it's kind of falling on deaf ears, where people are like, well, we shouldn't really focus on that area or try to avoid the topic. What are some thoughts of how you can help some of our our counterparts with that challenge? I think one of the first things, and it was kind of brought up, is if that's the, the feedback that you get, you got to stop the conversation and say, look, if we don't address this now, this is going to become a bigger issue for us. So we can sit here and debate it. I think Kyle used great. We can debate this all we want to, but we're going to have to deal with this, and we're better off dealing with it in a, in a positive way and in a in a way that is you know being proactive than to be reactive because i think that's going to come across a, a totally different way and i think you're going to have to have you're going to have the have the guts in that room to say something like that when you get that um when you get that feedback and maybe before you go with that person or with your set of administrators find again find your allies on campus that maybe that can come in and help you with that conversation if you don't, you know, and don't feel like you got to do it yourself, but be willing to go back, you know, go against. You got your student athletes, you got other uh, areas of, of people on the campus. And I think you just got to, you just got to, you, you're going to have to do it. You're going to have to be uncomfortable. I know we keep saying this over and over again, but I don't think we can say it enough. You're going to have to be uncomfortable in that situation because this is not going away. And it and is and and you don't want it to continue to bubble up on your campus in a way where you start drowning. And and now with everything else that's going on, and you add that as a as a as a wave of negative on whatever all the other stuff that's going on in your particular campus or in your conference or in your organization, that that wave is going to take you over. And I don't know if you want to, I don't know if you no know, one wants to be underwater like that right now because. You may not come, you're going to come out. If you do come out of it, you're going to be in a much different place and space, and it's probably not going to be a, a good one. Something that I always find helpful is to take it back to the, um, the business aspect and how this helps you do your job. Um, I find it really good, um, you know, if you want to. You want to do something to showcase your uh, black student athletes or something like that. Find another institution that has done it well and put that example in front of your superiors and say, listen, um, show this is what we could do. Like, this is good. This was well received. This is something that we can do here. This is how we can do it in our way. 
Um, if you show people, it's just like game notes. It's no different than a media guide. You go find the biggest and the baddest media guide and you steal exactly what you want from it and tailor it to your institution. That's all, that's all. This is no different. If you can frame it in that way that this is gonna be good for our institution, this is gonna be good for our student athletes. I think that um, those are very simple ways to take a kind of peel back the layers of a complex of a complex topic um, to make it a little bit more and not not that I'm saying that we should make everything that's uncomfortable palatable right because that's not that's not reality but if you're having a hard time um, getting people to see value find a an institution that's done it well and how it's been valued by their institution and say that we can do this and this is how um, I think that's that's important is that you know not everything has to be um, you know, a lot of administrators want to see data, um, want to know that if we do this, we're going to get positive feedback. And you, and if you've thought about it, you should know the potentials for negative and how we can combat it. Like that's just how us administrators work. So um, show show the value and what you want to do, and show examples. And I think that that can help you um, move the conversation along. Yeah, I think this is such an important topic uh, it's a great question we saw a lot of people asking this question and um, you know considering that most senior leadership teams at universities across the country are are not very diverse while the student athletes in the NCAA are about a third of racial minorities they have to have this conversation they have to be willing to have this conversation because we're also seeing that impact where a lot of student athletes during the past couple of months I said, you know what? I realized that my university really isn't looking out for me, so I'm going to decide to transfer. So if you don't tackle this issue and address it, you're going to find that a lot of your student athletes who you're supposed to be really providing positive experiences for are going to decide to go elsewhere. Um, so you have to have that conversation. And if, if you're in a communications position and you can't convince your leadership to do that, you still have the ability to empower student athletes to use their voice because student athletes, whether they go through official university channels or not, have a powerful, powerful platform. They could go to traditional media outlets on their own and they can use their influence on social media to use their voice. And so as a communications professional, you can help them how best to use their voice and what platforms to use and how to articulate what it is that they're saying. Um, and, and it doesn't necessarily even need to be student athletes. I would encourage you to volunteer with students across campus. There's student government associations and other student organizations that are right now pulling together resources to try to get people to vote. And they might not know the best ways to communicate. Use your experience to help those students. That The, the student athletes and the students on college campuses right now have a huge and powerful voice in this country. And you can do your part by helping them communicate that voice. That's a great point, Kyle. Um, I think that um, in addition to making sure that our student athletes feel heard um, here at our institutions, um, because like you said, they will run the social media, they will write a nice Players Tribune article about us and their experiences at our institutions. Um, but helping them find productive ways to use what they have at their fingertips. It's not just a thing you play on. Social media is a tool. And so showing them the best ways to, to utilize this tool could be 
opening a doorway for them to a great internship, could be opening the doorway to a great career that they hadn't even considered. Um, on the administrative side, I would think that we need to do some strong SWOT analysis about our departments and the benefit of having people of color in our spaces um, and making sure that they are set up to exceed and succeed all expectations um, in those spaces. Um, we have to model the behavior that we want to be seen. You can't say, well, we need to make sure we have a women's coach of a women's team, but then not have any people of color to model the behavior for the people of color that are playing on your teams. <laughs> you need to make sure that if you're comfortable enough to say, this team that's a women's team needs a women's coach, then there needs to be a person of color to be able to be a person of color representative for your student athlete population and reflects what you have there at your institution. Um, and being uncomfortable, it's okay. Um, you have been uncomfortable for, for four months. And for a lot of people, they have been uncomfortable for four decades, five decades. They have lots of stories from their youth, from their professional careers that um, can put aside your concerns about your ally fatigue. And gosh, it's everywhere I look and it's everything that I see on TV and I can't get away from it. And I just want to get back to sports. Well, some people would just like to not get back to people being killed in the middle of the street. Uh, People would like to be treated as human beings. And so, again, modeling that behavior, being okay to say, it's okay, I'm afraid to. <laughs> I'm afraid to walk out of the stadium at 11 o'clock at night because I don't know if the police officer is going to recognize that I actually am walking out of the building instead of stealing the building when I'm walking out with a box full of stuff post-game. Um, I'm okay as a woman to walk out of a building at 11 o'clock at night and say, as a woman, I'm not safe in this environment. Uh, you have to be uncomfortable be comfortable with being uncomfortable and whatever that looks like and stop trying to limit what that effect can be in your life um, because you're cutting yourself off from a, what could be a very powerful um, experience and one that you can share with other people. And it's something, again, you can use to model the experience and model the behavior that we want to see. If we don't walk down our hallways cussing people out because we think that that's professional decorum and we expect our student athletes to behave the same way, why can we not add this to the list of things that we say is professional decorum, that you must treat everyone with respect, that you must make sure that every voice is heard, whether it's, whatever, whether it's different from yours or not, um, whether you agree or not. Empathy is free. <laughs> and so may I, may, I may not understand why you felt the need to go out and protest in your, in your jersey um, because of George Floyd. I want to understand why this has impacted you. I may not understand it, but I, as a person who, who is a part of my staff, as a person who is a part of my team, a person who is a part of my university, I want to make sure that you understand that I see you, that I hear you, that I respect you. And I'm working towards understanding where you were coming from and working towards building an environment that you feel safe and cared for while you're here at our institution or in our conference. Well said. Well, I want to thank, we'd like to thank everyone, great audience for joining today's informative session. And a big thanks to all of you guys for the presenters for your honest thoughts, your guidance, and your insight. And I hope that was helpful to everyone because it was for me. Uh, reminder that you can find the on-demand webinar on cosida.com and Cosida Connect, which is our membership portal. Uh, um, later this afternoon, it will also be a podcast format. We'll be on our Cosida YouTube channel for, for later viewing. And we'll also have the links for you on, on the cosida.com website. So stay tuned for all our upcoming racial and social justice initiative, webinars and content, as well as other professional development and educational content throughout the rest of the summer and into the fall. Refer to cosida.com for all the information and links. 
Thanks again for joining us for this important conversation. It's good to see everybody. Can't wait till we get back together soon. I hear you, Scotty. Black Lives Matter. Thank you again for joining us. Uh, thank you, audience, for great questions ahead of time and, dur and during the call. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>